Hey everybody, Dr. Chris Martinson back here with you for another scouting report. Remember, so I just talked about how uh, the markets are all sort of like um, markets now, right? Uh, that's with double air quotes for anybody just listening to this. I'm holding my fingers up and going, quote, quote, uh, markets. All right, so why do I think that, you know, I have all this data, but I'm going to give you a little bit more around this because it's really a central point. It's actually very, very important that we get this right. And the reason is, is that if, if I'm just putting my volume up a tiny bit here, there you go, a little louder. Okay, much better. Um, the reason for this is because if, if we're markets are perform a really important function, they are supposed to be sending signals and these signals are, even if you don't have money in the markets, trust me, this is really important because if you want to understand what the future is going to be, you want to see where things are going, you have to extrapolate the trend. If we give ourselves really bad information over time, we're going to have really increasingly poor outcomes. It would be like a, let's imagine you're a pilot in a plane and all your all your machinery is wrong. All your instrumentation is just is wrong. Your, your fuel gauge is telling you you have twice as much fuel as you actually do, right? Um, that might be your CPI reading where, where they're saying inflation is half of what it really is. You know, it's giving you a false sense of things. It might be uh, that your altimeter is completely wrong. You know, it's off by several thousand feet. This is a bad thing if you're flying through mountainous regions, um, things like that. So we have bad instrumentation out there and chief among them is price information. If your price information is corrupted, you can't balance risks out. You have no idea where, where real supply and demand is. And most importantly, the source of all prosperity, remember, it comes from our primary wealth and our secondary wealth. These are the resources that exist within a landscape. And then secondary uh, wealth would be the, the extracting and transformation of those resources into the goods and services products. All right. Tertiary wealth is just crap. It's just numbers on a screen, right? It's just representations of stuff. It's currency, what we call money, which is really currency. It's derivatives, stocks, bonds, things like that. Okay. Um, but those are just claims. <clears throat> what really matters is actually the, the stuff in the story. And so in the prior piece, I just pointed out that I think copper is mispriced. Wheat is mispriced. Oil is mispriced. Why are these things mispriced and how would they actually get to be mispriced? And then the corollary of that is if you misprice something for too long, eventually you end up, if like, let's say you suppress the price for too long, you're going to get too little of that stuff over time, right? So if somebody is suppressing the price of oil, we're going to get less oil coming out of the ground because people aren't investing in it because they can't because the price is too low. All right. This is a big world impact. And I believe the price manipulators are doing this with the help of an entire ecosystem of speculators and liquidity floods and computers and all that crap. But the question is how I've talked about this before. I want to cover it again because this is really important to me. <laughs> so cover it one more time. And it works like this. Um, my hypothesis is there's central bank hanky panky. And it happens because at the Chicago mercantile exchange, which is the place that this is the worldwide place where the prices of things are set for all kinds of things. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange has a central bank incentive program. Yeah, it's right on their website. There's the link. Look it up yourself. I've been tracking it for years. Um, well, what, what is this program? What, what is what, what is this? Well, the purpose of the program is to incentivize as if they needed incentivization, central banks as if they needed incentive to monkey around with stuff, as if they needed better pricing. Dude, they're central banks. 
They print their money out of thin air. You know what, CME? Pro tip. You know what you should do with central banks? You should charge them quadruple. Like say, if you're a central bank and you want to participate, we're going to charge you. We're just going to, we're just going to absolutely hose you on pricing. <laughs> that would be the right response. But instead, they give them uh, incentives, central banks located outside the United States. So this is only for banks outside the United States. Pay no attention to the fact that the Federal Reserve has what's called swap lines with other central banks. So we funnel money to other central banks who then can come back and uh, participate in our Chicago Mercantile Exchange um, uh, to trade, they say here, the products listed below, and we'll get to those in a second, on the CME Globex platform. That's their big electronic platform, so it's just blinking lights and computers. The resulting increase in liquidity in the products Listed below benefits all participant segments of the market. In <laughs> the market. <laughs> That's they always fall back. Oh, liquidity. This is magic liquidity. Oh liquidity. Yeah. Oh, there's more liquidity. That's always a good thing. <clears throat> no. Not if the central banks are coming in and smashing the price of gold, smashing the price of silver, smashing the price of oil, smashing the price of, of wheat. They're actually not just providing liquidity, they're sending the wrong signals. They are monkeying with prices. I pray to the price gods. Y'all pray to the liquidity gods. Why? Because the CME siphons that and lifts that off. And because um, more liquidity means more profits for all the financial people who have all their blinking lights and computers on Wall Street. I get it why they pray to that. But they just state this as if it's like a, a known, like this is common knowledge. Increase, the resulting increase in liquidity in the products listed below benefits all participants. <laughs> In the market, um, not the people who are the producers of those commodities who are getting a worse price, obviously not them, doesn't, not all participants, but they just get to say this stuff as if it's like some, some big truism. Let me see if I can get my highlighter out here. Cause, Cause you know how I like to do this like this, the resulting increase in liquidity in the products listed below benefits all participants in the market. <clears throat> No, not true. Okay. Uh, product scope. What do we have here under product scope? So this is all CME, CBOT, NYMEX, and COMEX futures. Uh, our, our contracts products are available for trading on the CME Globex platform. So that's everything. And that and that and all U.S. Treasury options and interest rate options listed in the open outcry. Um, and all comics, futures, products, everything. So if you've been wondering what's going on in the comics with gold and silver and other products, here's part of your answer. Uh, you're wondering what's going on in the CBOT NYMEX, where all the oil futures are trading. Here's part of your answer. Eligible participants, what do you got here? Uh, well, there is no limit to the number of participants <laughs> that may participate in the program. All non-U.S. central banks, multilateral Development banks, multilateral development banks, multilateral financial institutions. What is a multilateral financial institution? Sub-regional banks and coordination groups. Is that the plunge protection team? What do you, what's a coordination group? What is this crap? <laughs> and international operations of central banks may apply for participation. Hmm. All non-U.S. central banks, multilateral development banks, financial institutions, 
sub-regional banks, coordination groups, and international organizations of central banks. What's an international organization of central banks relative to all non-U.S.? Is that the BIS? Maybe that's the BIS down there. Anyway, you got to read through this. It's always like this legally, you know, um, prose crap that they put in here. But at any rate, uh, so they have an incentive program and they're right up front about it. And they tell you all about it. Central banks are in here fooling around with everything on the CME, the CBOT, the NYMEX, the COMEX, as well as anything on the Globex platform, etc. Okay. So what is that? What, what, what are these products? Well, first up, uh, here's a, a short list of some of the products they, they can trade on here. Product category would include E-mini equity index futures, right? E-mini equity index options and E-mini equity futures um, outrights. So futures, options, outrights. This is, basically, they can any equity market can now be bought or sold easily, rapidly electronically with these futures options and outrights, right? These are highly leveraged products. So this begins to help us understand stuff like this. Like I keep asking, like, how is it all of our markets across the world, whether it's the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the Nikkei 225, Eurostox 50, DAX, why is it that they all trade in perfect lockstep now, right? It's because this is a simulacrum of a market. These are not markets. These are markets with the double air quotes, right? Because, I mean, just logically, why should there be tick for tick resolution and symphony and synchrony between the large caps in the United States, um, technology shares in the United States, whatever's happening in Japanese stocks, Euro stocks versus Germany? And why would Germany be vaulting higher in exact perfect lockstep with the NASDAQ 100 in the United States at the same time that the German economy has been absolutely getting crushed um, during this period of time due to its energy issues and, and the fact that, well, it's, it's facing an industrial collapse of its energy intensive industry. So it just doesn't make any sense. But it does make sense if you understand the central banks like their stock markets to go higher. And so and they have access, preferred access. Those are really cheap prices. I can't get prices like that because I'm not a volume player on the, on the CME. So I can't get pricing like that. But the central banks have preferred pricing because they're such good customers of the CME where highly leveraged futures and options and things like that are traded on a variety of things. So we get these weird behaviors. Maybe does this begin to explain this? Maybe, maybe, right? But somebody steps in and is driving this behavior now. Okay. How about this? Uh, continuing their program, uh, why would any central bank, give me one solid reason why any central bank besides El Salvador's um, would have an interest in trading Bitcoin futures, outright spreads and options. Bitcoin, what compelling interest would say central banks need to have a volume discount on trading highly leveraged Bitcoin derivatives? Because that's what all these things are. Futures, outright spreads and options are all derivatives. There's, they, they derive their value from the underlying asset. Okay. I can't think of any good reasons for Bitcoin futures beyond here, but I can just think of some bad ones, right? Because Bitcoin obviously is a competitor to a lot of the fiat currency, all of the fiat currencies that the central banks administer. So if I'm a central bank, I want to have access to printing up my fantasy paper promise tickets and being able to control 
the apparent price or, or price performance of my competitor. That's what that is. How about this? Interest rate futures. Oh, well, my God, you know, the Treasury, you know, went up to 5%, but, but it's, it's backed off. Uh, the U.S. 10 years down to 4.5%. It's really come down hard. Do you think any central banks out there would have a compelling interest in driving the long end of the curve by maybe, I don't know, selling off a whole bunch of interest rate futures on the long end of the curve? Of course they would. This is how you would control uh, uh, interest rates if you needed to. Interest rate options as well. Forex. So, hey, you know, the Japanese yen's getting a little little, little out, of, out of control here. Let's just drive the, the exchange rate here. So, so these are some of the things that they get to play with. But more germane to our particular story is the thing that's really going to screw us. Because all this, this is all paper games right here, more or less. This is where this, this, this gets a little real. Now we see that they also have in the central bank incentive program, they have full-sized agricultural contracts on here. So why would a central bank, do you imagine, have a compelling interest in being a volume participant in buying or selling interest rates, I mean, sorry, agricultural contracts. This is wheat, rice. Like why would, why would any foreign central bank need to come into the U.S. market and drive down the price of U.S. wheat or drive up the price of U.S. wheat? It's a, kind of a, okay, we know that we're Egypt and we're going to be importing a lot of wheat. And so what we'd like to do is hedge. But why wouldn't that hedging be the function of the import company, not the central bank. Like the fact that it's a central bank, which prints money out of thin air, has the capability to come in and wrestle around the price of full-size agricultural contracts. Like why are U.S. farmers exposed to some foreign central bank deciding that it wants to sell or buy a whole lot of this or that in the agricultural side? I can't think of a single compelling reason this ought to be left to the free markets. Central banks have no business participating in any of this stuff. None. Zero. They should be conducting at best monetary policy, and I submit they shouldn't even have any control over that. In fact, we should do away with all the central banks. But here it is. This is, there it is, full evidence right before your eyes that foreign central banks participate in full-size agricultural contracts in the U.S. So U.S. wheat farmers, corn farmers, wheat farmers, pig, cows are exposed now to whatever foreign central banks decide they want to do. I think this explains, if you saw before, I put up the chart of wheat, where wheat prices, exactly where they were in 2006. All the foreign central banks, all central banks, have a compelling interest in not looking like what they're doing is completely ruinous to the average person. So if they can, they would just come in and like to suppress the prices of things that their people have to buy so that they can continue to print money, which basically goes out to all of their rich and wealthy friends. And the only thing that the U.S. Federal Reserve has done that is 100% reliable is the most robust thing they've done. It has been an unmitigated good that they have done is increase the wealth of the 0.1% above and beyond everybody else. That is the one chart guaranteed I can tell you the Federal Reserve has not dropped the ball on that one. That one is rock solid. Whoosh. The 0.1% has more and more and more of the overall wealth of the nation. So they've done that. At the same time, they get to come out and grow. Oh, but inflation isn't that bad. Oh, look, it's moderating, even though we know that's BS. But they do that. Uh, and one of the ways that they do that is by, I submit, sending out money to a foreign central bank 
or proxy or multilateral corporation or, or, or all these other designations. They wire it out there and it's called a swap line. And, uh, and then it comes back and, and next thing you know, oil is mysteriously lower in price or copper or something like that. That's how the game has been run. It's just a big rigged game and it's about narrative control. Doesn't say anything about, is this the right thing to do? What are the long-term implications of accidentally sending too low price signals to the market so that in the future we get less copper, less oil, less of the stuff we need? That conversation, they don't have that conversation. That's not where this story goes. So um, carrying on, NYMEX products. Again, physicals on the CME Globex, uh, CL, that, that's uh, uh, crude oil. Um, we've got gasoline on there. We've got natural gas on there. We've got all kinds of stuff on there. So energy contracts. Now, again, why would a foreign central bank need to come to the U.S. markets and buy or sell an oil contract, which is kind of a weird thing? What, why isn't that left up to I can understand why a, a, a like a Chinese energy oil importing company might have a compelling interest if they could take delivery in particular on that contract so that they could buy a contract, take the delivery of the oil and bring it over. I could, I get that, but why would a central bank, central banks really aren't in the business. I thought, and all of us should have thought central banks aren't in the business of buying and selling oil or gas or liquefied natural gas or natural gas. In fact, natural gas, let's go further. You can't, you can't, you can't ship natural gas overseas. So why would a foreign central bank need access to the U.S. natural gas futures market? Kind of a weird thing. Metals, platinum, palladium, on COMEX, uh, that would be gold, silver, um, copper, everything, right? Why... Again, I'll keep asking the rhetorical questions. But why would why would a foreign central bank need access to silver futures contracts? Not one of them has silver on their balance sheet. It's just an industrial metal. But we've seen the shenanigans in the silver markets over and over and over and over again. And I've just laid out a, a case last week here uh, in your scouting report about how silver is in now structural shortfalls, but it's in structural shortfall because mine supply is dropping because people aren't opening new mines because the price has been too low for too long. This ends badly. Uh, that's just the way this goes. And, and so, you know, the conclusion is that central banks, they have their thumb on, on the price scale doing stuff. Um, they've controlled the price of money. We know that through interest rates. I can I submit they've committed monetary vandalism by keeping prices too low for too long and then pulling the rug out from everybody, right? Uh, they control the quantity of money, so both the price and the quantity of money. That's M2. You can just see that smooth curve until COVID. Then, oh no, emergency. We have this thing with a 99.95% survival rate that doesn't really impact anybody under the age of 60. We better quadruple the amount of money compared to where it was just a few years ago. It's just, ah, it's just stupid. So they did that. Here's the problem. The economy is a complex system and they're treating it as if it's this linear thing. It's a narrative machine. What matters is what the story that the prices are telling, not the signals the prices should be sending to all the market participants out there. It's that our central banks no longer, uh, if they ever did, they, they're Marxists, they're communists. They don't believe in, they don't, they don't, they fundamentally don't trust and don't believe in you or the 
the collective wisdom of the markets. They don't trust that if copper goes to $10 a, a pound, that people out there who they don't know, who wear hard hats and went to school uh, for mining and, and or you know came up through the really hard business of learning how to actually mine, they don't trust that they'll take that information and do the right thing, which is give more copper. They have this other view that the prices of everything need to be controlled and that they are the right ones to know the right prices for everything. And guess what? The prices always should be lower so they can keep printing more money, right? Because that's the game they want to run. So they don't understand complex economies. They don't understand the complexity of this at their emergent behaviors. They do not understand or trust that price signals are actually important pieces of the overall landscape. They don't trust that individuals will make the right decisions based on that. And because of that, we're going to face a future of shortages and disruptions, and it's going to be really exceptionally painful. I gave a case the other day about this, which is that uh, they're like over here on the central banks, like, oh, I know, let's drive down inflation by driving down the price of oil using the CME, those NYMEX futures. And they've done that, and they've done that very successfully. But meanwhile, here's why you shouldn't do that. Do you see why we're going to have a persistent supply gap? It's not because there isn't more oil out there to be found. It's that there isn't any going to be coming out of the ground at these prices. The prices are too low for this chart down here to have that bottom part rise up to meet the, the black line at the top. We are going to be facing exceptionally disruptive and highly expensive oil prices in the future. And that's if and only if we don't get into some sort of hot kinetic shooting war in the Middle East over all this nonsense. But this is what's happening. We are being, you know, Marxism, communism just doesn't work. The Federal Reserve is a commie organization. They, and all the central banks, they believe that they know right. They know that they can, they know the right price of money and they know how much money. But guess what? Uh, the, the price of money is, oh, it should always be lower. And the quantity of money should always be higher. <laughs> That's just how they roll. It's really broken. It's really stupid. And it's about to have a date with reality. And this is the reality. This is the pin that pricks the bubble right here. No matter what the Federal Reserve does in the future, they are not going to be able to print money uh, or lower the rate of interest to do anything other to about the fact that we have a supply demand gap in oil. Nothing. There's nothing they can do. Prices are going to have to rise in oil. They could... And that'll give us what we call punishing inflation, but it's not inflation. Inflation is too much money seeking too few goods and services. Oil is is a uh, is a cost push price increaser, right? So we're going to see the price of oil go up a lot, but of course that'll feed into the thing they measure, which is the CPI. And it's going to be, oh my God, look at all the expensive stuff now. It's really expensive, very hard. Look at all the people out of work because mysteriously there's less stuff for people to do in a world of less available net energy per capita. Oh, who knew? Who could have seen this coming? It'd be a big mystery to everybody but you and me. Um, and so this is what's uh, this is what's coming. And I wish I had a different point of view on this, but I, I just can't. So we're going to have this massive future of disruptions, right? <sighs> and so let's talk about what just happened recently with stocks going up um, starting there on October 30th. Stocks, again, in the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, the Nikkei 225, which is Japan, Euro stocks, 50, largest 50 stocks in Europe, and the DAX uh, down there, German DAX. All of those stock markets were up 10%, 10%, 9%, 10%, 10%, all of them. But you know what it took? 
It took a 33% smash in what's called the VIX. I just discussed this with Ed Dowd. He understands this process. Anybody who's been in the markets deeply understands this process. Why did all those stock markets go up at the same and how did they do that? They did it with what's called a VIX smash. The VIX is a derivative product. It is a product that is supposed to measure the amount of volatility. When the VIX is going down, there is less volatility in the markets. Because there's less volatility in the markets, there are all these computers who have what are called VAR or volatility at risk models. They've got the VAR models. And when volatility is going down, that means that risk is going down. So they have to, by their coding, buy stocks. So if you wanted to get this whole ecosystem, the body of the dog, which is all these computer systems, algorithms, all these private equity funds, hedge funds, big bank trading desks, if you want them to be forced to buy stocks, so stocks go up in price, you smash the volatility down. You crush the volatility. So look at this in this world here between October and November. Do you think there's any particular, like, is there anything going on in the world where you might go, you know what? I see a little more risk, not, not less risk. And by the way, not just less risk, right? So there's so little risk in the system. There's so little volatility that uh, you won't believe this, right? Buying puts on the S&P has never been lower in all of history. That is to say, it is the safest moment in time for the S&P 500 ever today with everything going on in the Middle East, with everything going on with China and Russia, with everything going on with the U.S. about to enter what is certain to be a disastrous 2024 election cycle where the Democrats are so certain of their rigging of the elections that they have put a, put a drugged up um, uh, zombie Biden. They're just going to push him forward into that. They're, that's how confident they are that they got the shit show locked up, right? And it's going to create a huge amount of disruption. According to our markets, double air quotes, it has never been a safer time to be invested in U.S. stocks, <laughs> right? So, so we have to ask a question, though. It's, this is obviously stupid, right? So this is what it took. It was a VIX slam. That's because we have central banks in there participating in the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. They can smash the VIX. They just sell the VIX. The VIX is a derivative product. And it's a derivative of the markets, but this is the tail that wags the dog, a lot of leverage on the VIX. Like I said, there's tons of models out there that chase it. And as the models chase it and the stock prices go up, there's all this other option balancing that has to happen. And this gamma, it's all this stuff that has to happen um, that comes off of that. You can just, you know, that. So, but look at what it took a 33% smashing of the VIX to get a 10% rise across all those markets. That's really big. That that was a, a massive, massive smash um, to get that there. And that was done on purpose by somebody. Now, this is why I totally support audit the Fed. I want to see transaction level detail. I don't, They claim the Fed is audited, but really they just hand somebody their balance sheet and say, do these numbers tie? And they're like, yeah, you know, but we don't know what all's in there. We don't know what's in the swap lines. We don't know what's in their other category on their assets, on their balance sheet. Hundreds of billions of dollars in other footnote goes nowhere. You know, it's just like, this is other stuff we have. Oh, is that a Cayman's offshore account that loops back through the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and happens to own a bunch of VIX puts right now? Acquiring minds would like to know, right? So we need a full audit of the Fed. We need to end the Fed, obviously. Uh, that would be a better option 
And uh, that's why I really, I think Malay and Argentina, go, stay away from airplanes with hot tubs and nail guns in them. You know, just be safe, my man, because um, I would love to see this uh, central bank dismantled. That would be uh, really interesting to watch how the power players in particular around the world responded to that. But at any rate, uh, th- this is where we're at. Uh, we have these markets, right? And uh, so, so the question is, well, why? What, what has them so scared right now that they dragged out the guns that were so big that they had to fire hose the market so hard that S&P puts have never been cheaper, ever? So a put, sorry, for those who don't know, a put option is you buy an option that says, I'm betting that the market is going to fall. It has never been cheaper to buy the cost of insurance against the market falling because apparently investors have never been more confident the market is only going to go up, not down. Of course, it wasn't investors. It was whoever smashed the VIX this hard uh, because the cost of a put is priced off of the volatility and the volatility is way down in the dumpster right now. So why? Why would they smash the VIX so hard just to get a 10% increase in stocks right now? What's got them so scared that they broke out guns that big? I mean, this is literally, they, they just took a sledgehammer to a mouse. And the question is why? Well, you know, we got all these bank uh, rumblings going on right now. There's lots of signs that there's something really deeply wrong with the banking system. We know that Japan, something's really gone wrong with there. I've talked about this. They had a 48-hour shutdown for the seven largest banks where they couldn't conduct any transactions. No no moving, no no, no crediting, no debiting. Like just, what, what was that all about? You know, just... The fact that it's not talked about at all, just like skipped over, tells me it's a big deal. Uh, we've got signs um, emanating out of UBS that maybe that's next on the block here. It looks pretty awful, uh, what, what we're seeing right now. If that happens, something systemic. So they're very worried about this. We, we know that the banking system still has $680 billion of mark-to-market unrealized losses on their balance sheets here in the U.S. What is that all about? So something's going on. It's not quite right. Um. Additionally, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, you know, we have uh, Geert Wilders in, uh, in the Dutch system. We've got Malay in Argentina and as well in um, New Zealand, very proud of New Zealanders. They just crushed Jacinda Ardern's Labor Party. They lost 28 seats with the balance being picked up by um, uh, mostly by the National and the Green parties, anybody but Labor. <laughs> so, so these are the populist uprisings against, principally against all of the crap that Team Elite has been pulling. So Team Elite's very scared right now. And when Team Elite gets scared, they jam the markets. It's one of their things they like to do because it's a way of saying, you all still all love us, don't you? You have faith in all of us, right? Look, the markets are up. Are we not good leaders to you? Bread and circuses. Um, so so there's that. Or maybe, maybe it's that you know, uh, markets are one of the last narrative structures they can fully control. They got their hands fully on the horizontal and the verticals on these things because we know that nobody's paying attention to these ca- clowns anymore, right? And, and, and in fact, it got, uh, I'm really, this was a lot of fun. I don't know if you saw this, but um, Elon Musk was just on this big New York Times program, right? And And so, Ask, of course, a, a killer question like, Elon, your your advertisers are all walking away from you. You know, shame. Oh, no. And this is the actual definition of fuck you money. Because he said, if somebody's going to try and blackmail we, me with money, go fuck yourself. In case people didn't really catch on what he meant, he said, go fuck yourself. 
loved it. I loved every second of that. Now, now look at the, um, this is just by a little, you know, well, not little, it's actually very big, very well trafficked, but it's called end wokeness on Twitter and they've lost the Twitter. They just lost the Twitter universe and they're just so upset. Yeah. Let's put Elon on a New York times program. See if we can shame him, shame him back to this, into the corral. Um, look at the numbers down there, right? And wokeness just put this up a number of hours ago, a hundred plus thousand likes, you know, 5,000 comments. Any one of those, uh, outfits over there would salivate and give their left testicle to have any sort of traction like that on Twitter. So of course they're all going to probably cry about all this and walk off and, and claim they're going to go go occupy threads or mastodon or they're going to leave they're going to leave and then they'll come back but first they're going to announce they're leaving it's like dude this isn't an airport just leave just bye you know just get out of here so i don't know why they're freaking out but i'm telling you it freaks me out that they're freaking out this much the market freak out that they've just performed tells me that there's something really urgently bad and they're trying to fix it and one of the, they need air cover for that and so part of this air cover they need higher stock prices higher bond prices uh, for reasons right they're doing what they can. Meanwhile, we saw gold break out over convincingly over $2,000 an ounce. I think this may be it, folks. It's heading higher from here. Um, silver, but oil, all this stuff. They're, they're all of their commodity hijinks and games that started up in earnest around 2006, seven, which by the way is when my trading programs broke down because suddenly I was up against these machines. The ecosystem of machines and egos and power players is coalesced into this machine that just sends bad price signals, manipulates markets, and enriches the 0.1%. That's the whole thing, and it can't persist. It is a broken system, and it's coming to an end. And I'm unfortunately concerned that that end is going to be within the next few years. And when it does, it's going to be particularly bad because it has so much potential energy stored within it. That's why we have to talk about the great taking by David Rogers Webb and how they have now tried to configure, reconfigure the system to say, well, if it does completely break, we own all your stuff, right? That's not going to work out real well because we have this thing called the internet. People now are informed because of information like this, and you can see clearly what's happening. You can begin to develop other plans for what you're going to do around this. You need to have your money managed well, as well as can be with a very strong eye towards safety. You have to make sure you understand what primary and secondary and tertiary wealth are. Get more, more of your wealth over to primary and secondary if you can, right? You want to own the means of production and productive assets as well as real things, right? So I'm not saying don't own stocks and bonds, but I do prefer stocks and bonds that are actually tied to actual productive enterprises. I like oil wells. I like certain types of real estate. I like trees. I got a lot of trees up the hill here. I like real things. Uh, and because listen, when, when the game is, is just a big rigged thing, real is going to count again at some point in time. Big time. All right. With that, uh, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back. Can't wait to hear, hear what you have to say about this idea. Do you think the central banks are actively manipulating the markets? And if so, what do you think the impact of that will be? Good or bad?